This is not the first time that God is revealed on a mountain. Sister Joan Chittister has pointed out that mountains in Greek and Hebrew, Roman and Asian religious literature, they are always places where humans can seem to touch the divine. And so in Jewish and Christian scripture, mountains hold especially symbolic meaning. It is on the mountain that Moses receives the law from God. And it is on the mountain that the prophet Elijah encounters God. And it's not in the power of the earthquake, the wind, or the fire, but in the silence, in the still, small voice of God. And this passage reminds us of both of those experiences in Jesus' own mountain experience. Jesus takes his friends up the slope. And at the peak, they can see him clearly as the transfigured Christ, radiant and just filled with light. It's impossible to miss. Up on the mountain, they find themselves in what Celtic Christians have termed a thin place. This is a place that is so elevated, so full of light, that the veil that exists in our thinking between earth and heaven human and divine it just seems to thin and it's easy to see God it's easy to hear God's voice this is my son the beloved it says in the passage it's easy to sense God's light transforming and reinventing he was transfigured before them Matthew says and maybe you've experienced a time something like that maybe you've experienced a place that has some similarities some sacred holiness for you. It might have been a personal experience where you sensed clarity and direction in your life. It might have been a corporate gathering that was just soaring with heights of emotion and beauty. We experienced such a time last Sunday, I think, as we gathered and we celebrated the life and ministry shared in this place for nearly 25 years with Doug and Terry. Well, sometimes this is called a mountaintop in a life of faith. And if you've ever reached such a peak, well then chances are you have had that reflex that Peter has in our passage. Verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And so I will construct three shelters. Lord, we should stay right here. Let's build something. Let's pitch a tent. Let's set up camp. But then, you know, the life of faith is not a life that settles down. You can't just stay put. You can't build walls around the good things of God. You can't protect your private experience of grace and wonder as though it only belongs to you. There is always a call forward down the mountain to all that is ahead. There was for them and there is for us too. And in this passage from Matthew, it comes not merely in a general call to follow, but in some specific commands that remind us what following Jesus is about. Three calls that are direct, pointed, particular. Maybe you notice them in the passage. In verse 5, listen to Him. Then in verse 7, get up. And then again in verse 7, don't be afraid. Listen to Him. Get up. Don't be afraid. Three calls that help us find our way down from the mountaintop, yes, but three calls that also might just form for us a summary 
of a life that is lived in the way of Jesus. Listen to him, says the voice booming out. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen. Well, like Peter, James, and John, we have heard those words before. These are the words that parted the skies at Jesus' baptism, signaling His identity and also our own. These were the words, beloved, that became what Henry Nouwen once described as a kind of golden string that would tie together all the days of Jesus' life and ministry. And now these words tie us back to His baptism with the reminder that He remains who He was promised to be. Listen to Him. Listen to what He says. Watch what He does. And so they had done that. They had listened and watched and observed as He described and then lived out a whole new way to be human and to be faithful. This way of selfless love that He embodies. They had listened as He had climbed that mount earlier and looked out at all of those people in His first sermon saying, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you meek. Blessed are you humble. They had listened. Just before this passage today, some six days earlier, when for the first time he described for them how he would go to Jerusalem and how he would endure great suffering and how he would die. They had listened as he then said, and if any of you want to be my followers, well, let them deny themselves. Let them take up their cross. Let them follow me. If you want to find your life, you have to give it away. They had listened. But with that last command, they must have been tempted to stop listening, to join Peter in the way that he resisted. Surely not, Lord. Surely you won't go and die. And so perhaps they needed this booming backlit reminder on the mountain to listen. To listen to it all. Tony Campolo is a longtime professor at Eastern Seminary in Pennsylvania. And he's spoken about encounters that he will sometimes have with families of some of his religion students. Because it seems every now and then, one of Campolo's students in New Testament will not only want to listen to Jesus, not only understand the words of Jesus, recount them on a test or on a paper, but will actually try to live them out in radical, sometimes literal ways. Imagine that. And so one of these students' parents showed up at Campolo's office, and he had some opinions about this. This father began to talk about his son, how he was living now in a communal housing with a few other students and then a woman who was homeless and a man who was living with mental illness, neither of whom were paying their full share of the rent on time. The father was not happy about this. He was not happy that his son was giving so much away, and he began to rant about Dr. Campolo's interpretation of Christianity, his son's understanding of the call of Jesus, and it came to a head when the father brought his hands down on the desk and he said, look, I'm all for being a Christian, up to a point. And then that's enough. Which sounds like a prayer that I am prone to praying myself. Because I listen to these words. I watch with you the way of Jesus and I say, Jesus, I am in. I am all for following in this way of living up to a point. And then it's enough. And I guess all disciples of all ages, they, we all have our up to a point moments because the voice of God is often the hardest voice to hear for us. Our lives are full of competing messages 
about who we are and what we can actually do. And for every echo telling us that we are beloved, there are these voluminous reminders of our flaws and our failures. For every urging and whisper that we be the one the ones in whom God's love is known, there are so many better amplified voices telling us how to be people of fear and hatred and suspicion and bigotry and prejudice. And for every invitation to follow in the way of Jesus, to give our whole lives to it, there are so many more saying with Peter, God forbid it, Lord, this suffering, this death, it should never happen to you. And to tell you the truth, Lord, what I really mean is it should never happen to me either. This cross you ask us to take up, it asks too much. It costs too much. And so we need to listen to the whole of it. And especially as we go from here. We need to listen and watch as Jesus walks from the mountain into the valley of human need. We need to listen as He moves towards Jerusalem and as He stops for outcasts all along the way and as He binds up the wounds of those around Him. We need to listen as He proclaims release and freedom for those who have never known it before. We need to listen as He says, you can love one another as I have loved you. We need to listen as He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We need to listen and we need to watch as He gives His life away for others. It is finished, He'll say. And then we need to listen As he makes his way back and the whisper is heard, why are you always looking for the living among the dead? We need to listen through the whole of it. As he tells us, the one who saves their life will lose it. But the one who loses their life for my sake, they will find it. And if we're going to listen as He calls and as He commands, well then we're going to have to be more than passive and sedentary. Because in the Hebrew tradition, to listen is also to obey. It has action. In fact, these two concepts are linked in Hebrew. Hearing implies doing, and that leads us to a second commandment on that mountaintop that day. Get up, Jesus says. Because Peter, James, John, they all would have been content with just passively listening, residing in that thin place of God's presence. Let's build something here, Lord. But discipleship does not involve monuments. It's about movement. In the words of the Baptist New Testament scholar, Dr. Alan Culpepper, faithfulness is not achieved by freezing a moment, but by following on in confidence that God is leading. The view from the overlook may be majestic, but the road is always beckoning forward. And so anytime we have listened to Jesus, anytime we have heard or seen the work of God revealed to us, the next thing we have to do is this. We have to get up. We have to spring into motion. We have to recognize that we have an active role to play in this world because of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, because of the promise of life that Jesus proclaims, because of the awareness that God is with us wherever we go. Dorothy Day used to say, I want to live my life in a way that doesn't make sense if God doesn't exist. Because how else would you make sense of her life of radical service and leadership She established the Catholic worker movement. She opposed war. She provided direct aid to the poor and homeless while also advocating on their behalf always. She faced arrest and resistance throughout her life. She lived in relative poverty. 
because of her convictions, which makes me wonder exactly what I'm doing with what I've heard and believed so much in my life. It just keeps me stationary, settled, rooted, calm. So much in the life of a church can do this too. As so much of what we do becomes tied to a literal foundation, we are settled in place. But what are we doing differently because we've heard from Jesus? What are we doing that we wouldn't be doing if we hadn't heard this word beloved and claimed it and known it as our own? What are we doing that we wouldn't be doing if we didn't know the forgiveness that extends to us? What are we doing that wouldn't make sense unless Christ had found us? These were the kinds of questions that confronted a gathering of Christians in a small French village in the 1930s, the village of Les Chambon. Now much of Europe was already folding before Hitler and the Nazi regime. And in this village of only about 5,000 people, there was this church that decided to do something. And so they acted as a rescue route for Jewish refugees who were fleeing the Holocaust and the terror. And they did all of this, as you can imagine, at such great substantial risk to themselves, to their friends, to their families. When the decades following the war, they were asked why they did it. Why would they resist this way? And the people of Les Chambon, they were confused. They hardly understood the question, well, we're Christians, they said. What choice do we even have? Their faith, you see, it compelled them. It set them in motion and they saw that there was no other option. Because if they refused to harbor these refugees in need, if they refused to resist the maniacal regime that was overtaking all around them, then they would no longer be followers of Christ. Because to deny the needs of others was to deny their faith itself. What are we doing that just wouldn't make any sense at all unless we've heard from Jesus? Get up, Jesus says. And then He starts to lead them down to the valley because that's where people are waiting for those who live differently because of what they heard. And it doesn't happen if the followers of Jesus just stay safe and settled and still. Get up. And if we do, if we follow, well then we're going to need to remember this third thing that He urges on this mountain. Do not be afraid. These words are a hallmark of the Gospel. They are words that you probably know. The words with which the angel Gabriel greets Mary in the quiet of her home. Do not be afraid. The words that echo from the heavenly host across a field of livestock to the shepherds as they keep watch by night. Do not be afraid. The same words that Jesus uses when His disciples are in the boat amidst a storm and when they see Him approaching on the water, it is I. Do not be afraid. And perhaps most importantly, 
These are the words that the angel of the Lord uses when he encounters some of his disciples who bring their spices looking for Jesus in the tomb. Do not be afraid. We hear it so often in our faith that sometimes we might risk trivializing the message as though faith and following Jesus mean that there is no fear. But in truth, whenever we are on our faces like these disciples on the mountain, whenever we are trembling, whenever we are worried or anxious about what is ahead, it might be precisely because we are people of faith, people who are seeking to give our all to a call that is greater than ourselves. The Swiss psychologist Paul Tournier was once asked, how do you help people get rid of their fears? And he said, oh, I don't. Because everything that's worthwhile in life is scary. The important things are hard. And the hard things are scary. So don't presume to get rid of your fears, he says. Look for fear. And then do the thing that you feel afraid to do. And the followers of Jesus can do the things that we're afraid to do with the echo of Jesus' words and the promise that we know that God is with us as we descend from the high and lofty to the lonesome valley below and to all that is ahead for Him and for us. Because this is not the last time that God is revealed on a mountain. It's not the first time, and it's not the last time either. In our liturgical calendar, Transfiguration Sunday, it comes just before our entrance into the season of Lent. And so as we stand on this mountain, we peer out and we anticipate that there is a mount, there is a hill on the other side of Lent. And we remember that the mountains and the valleys of this world, they are right next to each other. God has arranged it that way. And so on this day, we might stand on a mountaintop in dazzling light and power. We encounter Jesus there, and it is the Jesus that we so often want who gives us the life that we so often want, which is removed from the realities of this world. A life where God and goodness are close to us, where we can always see and hear. It's all so unmistakably powerful. Let's stay here, Lord. But that's not ultimately what life gives us. And that's not ultimately what Christ gives us. Because Jesus then descends into the pits of human brokenness. And on the other end, climbs another slope to suffer and to die, modeling power in meekness and greatness and service and this way of finding your life and giving it away. And in fact, this turns out to be the Christ we truly need and the life that we are truly called to live and we would never know it fully if we just stayed on the mountain. And so the call is to us to follow Him from there all the way down and then back up again in a way that comes close to the needs and the suffering of this world. In a way that takes up our own crosses and risks big things for good things. And in a way that lives out the secret that He whispered again and again that to find your life, you do have to be prepared to give it away. 
But any of us who are going to follow in that way, we're going to need to remember to do at least a few things. To listen to Him. To get up. And to not be afraid. And may it be so. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who calls us all forward. Amen.